SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. I'm Brad Brown. Coming up on today's show, gee, there is turmoil if you're a national coach in South Africa. Uh, if uh, you're Stuart Baxter or Alistair Katsir, I think it's going to be a tough few days. It is today for Stuart Baxter. He is uh, answering some questions as to uh, the failed campaign for Bafana Bafana not getting to the World Cup. And Alistair Katsir with performance reviews coming up. They did arrive back in South Africa today. We'll be touching on both those issues on this evening's show. But let's start off with some football news. Orlando Pirates hoping to continue their league form when they super, uh, entertained Supersport United at the Orlando Stadium this evening. The Buccaneers uh, coming off a vital three points against Bloom Celtic a week ago. Managed to break their six-match winless run. United currently 10th on the log with 13 points. A win tonight will see them jump into the top eight. Cape Town City in action as well. They're looking to extend their unbeaten run to four matches when they take on Maritzburg United at the Princess Mogogo Stadium. It is a home game for Cape Town City. Believe it or not, Benny McCarthy's team forced to move uh, their home fixture to an alternative venue this evening due to the unavailability of stadiums in Cape Town. The nice other fixture sees Mamelodi Sundowns take on Baraka FC at the Lucas Moripe Stadium. All three of those matches kick off in an hour from now. All host of uh, UEFA Champions League action to look forward to tonight. The pick of those fixtures sees Chelsea taking on Atletico Madrid. Barcelona in action against Sporting. Manchester United up against CSKA Moscow at Old Trafford and PSG travel to Bayern Munich. In international football news, Cameroon sacking coach Hugo Bruce after uh, 10 months after he guided the indomitable Lions to Afghan success. In rugby news, uh, Springbok captain Ivan Etzebeth says the players need to take responsibility uh, and not just the management for their failings. Uh, the Springbok team this year, Etzebeth was speaking upon the team's re- uh, return from their European tour where they won just two of their four tests. Etzebeth has uh, conceded that the team had an average season after managing to win seven out of 13 tests, which included two draws against Australia. Etzebeth believes they should have won more games uh, if they had uh, taken the opportunities and lamented the two record defeats against the All Blacks and Ireland said it was a tough year. Yeah, definitely. I think we had a few opportunities also to win matches, uh, which we didn't take. Uh, I think there were about uh, four games we maybe could have won uh, with a penalty or drop goal or something at the end. Uh, then, yeah, besides that, uh, two very disappointing games this season. So, yeah, uh, every season uh, we'll definitely be looking to do much better next year. On to some cricket, Chris Morris and Dale Stane will make their return from injury into multi-day cricket uh, when they take on Zimbabwe as part of the SA Invitation. 11 other proches included in there, A.B. de Villiers and Temba Bavuma. The second Ashes Test, delicately poised, uh, heading into the final day in Adelaide. Australia were dismissed for 138 in their second innings today. England currently 176 for four at stumps. They need 178 runs to win, while Australia need four wickets for victory. And at stumps in Delhi on day four, Sri Lanka were in trouble. 31 for three in their second innings. They still need 379 runs to beat India in that test match. Coming up next, we'll chat some football. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Man alive, who'd want to be a national coach in South Africa uh, in this day and age? I don't think it matters what sporting code we're talking, but right now we're talking football. Stuart Baxter uh, in some hardcore meetings uh, with the SAFA executive uh, following another disappointing qualification uh, campaign. We're joined now by the digital edif- uh, editor from Tiso Black Star, Mnawa Minawa, welcome on to SAFM Sports Trap this evening. Thanks for joining us. Uh, good evening and thanks for having me. 
Now, obviously, I, I, I mean, as football fans, we're all bitterly disappointed with uh, Bafana Bafana's uh, form this year. Stuart Baxter is going to have to answer some tough questions today. Um, well, I mean, um, uh, we've been trying to get some idea of uh, what is taking place uh, behind closed doors, and, um, and phones are just ringing. Uh, and I imagine it's one of those marathon day-long meetings. But look, um, from from my understanding of, of uh, from speaking with um, with the SAFA president as well as the SAFA CEO as well as several other people within uh, the association, um, um, whatever transpires in those technical meetings, he is not likely to face face the chop um, um, because they still have a bit of planning. That includes him going forward. Uh, they want um, a technical plan from him, from him. They want an idea of how he's going to rebuild the national team, given that uh, we're about to start um, a new four-year cycle after, after the next World Cup. There are several players that they are talking about who are young players that they feel that need to be part of the national team, and uh, he must update them and give them an idea of um, well, what sort of contingency does he have in place? What sort of players has he identified? Um, any players who will then fit within the age group that they've got in mind? So I expect that, in as much as he will probably get some 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 uh, harsh words, some tongue lashing for for, for the way we we just capitulated um, during these qualifiers, I don't see I don't see him um, facing the eggs for that because, in as much as um, Bafana Bafana uh, performed as miserably as they did in this last couple of qualifiers um, in, in the World Cup qualifiers, the players um, have been identified as also having played a role in us failing to qualify. There's been a serious problem of discipline in the national team. There's been partying at team hotels. There have been players who have really not uh, uh, understood that when they put on the national team shirt, they are actually representing this country and they're representing each and every person uh, in this country and they have behaved in a manner which, which is really unbecoming for someone who is representing the country. So they also um, uh, shoulder the blame for what has transpired. And I think going forward, uh, Baxter will also be asked to uh, come up with a plan uh, where this sort of thing doesn't uh, reoccur again, because it is a problem. Because really, quite frankly, if you look at the kind of group that we had, and you look at the kind of uh, teams that we were up against, I mean, apparently even Senegal themselves, they sent a message and they said that um, um, they consider themselves to be very fortunate that they're actually going to the World Cup and we are not because from 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 the first game where we played them, the one that we ended up having to replay, they were quite convinced that they didn't they didn't have enough guns to actually take us out, and they were quite surprised at the way we just roll over and played that. You no, know, there's obviously lots of issues in South African football. There's no there's no two ways about that. And and if you look at this campaign and 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 what's going on at the moment, in, in my mind, there's there's three big things. You've mentioned the one, the players. The players need to front up, and there's obviously discipline issues around the uh, around the squad, or there was in in the final bit of the qualification campaign. Uh, you look at some of the selections that Stuart Baxter made, and, and fair enough, he was thrown a bit of a hospital pass last minute uh, that he had to take over, uh, and he believed, obviously, that those players would be, be good enough, and, and in doing so, he, he ignored some of the, the young, up-and-coming, uh, talented youngsters that we've got in our South African ranks, but a, a, a large percentage of the blame needs to lay at, at uh, the, the, the feet of, of Safa, in my mind. Uh, I mean... Getting rid of, of Sheikh's Mashaba, yes, there were issues, but getting rid of him at that stage in a qualification process, to my mind, is ludicrous, and it's almost like Groundhog Day. We keep 
I just I feel like we keep self-sabotaging ourselves in, in, in these sort of qualification campaigns. No, most definitely. I mean, Safa also must uh, shoulder the blame here uh, because <clears throat> we, we appeared to be in the driving seat um, at that stage during the qualifiers. We, 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 uh, we were within touching distance of, of the leaders at the time, and I think it, it might have been Burkina Faso, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Senegal were probably third at then at the time. But the way this whole campaign has just swung and it completely went pear shape um, after that, and and and, and Safa must accept the blame for changing a coach smack in the middle of a qualifying campaign, and it's even worse when their third campaign was actually going along very nicely. And then obviously the other huge, huge uh, think uh, problem that I think uh, led to where we are at the moment is the, the amount of time it took to hire Sheikh Mashaba's replacement. I mean, Mashaba parted ways with Safa in December, but Stuart Baxter only came on board um, in, in May, which, which was not enough time for him to start preparing for, 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 for the first, uh, for, first of all, for the first game against Nigeria in the 2019 Afghan qualifiers. Um, sure, we managed to go to Nigeria and beat Nigeria, but if you look at the results since then, starting with Kosafa, eventually with uh, with the, with the, um, uh, the, the, the Chen qualifiers that came after Kosafa, and then finally with the World Cup qualifiers themselves. So we, we did have we, we did have a situation where um, you have to uh, you have to wonder if the person that they thought they would get their hands on and who was Carlos Quiros at the time because they were pretty certain they had agreed terms with set, with uh, with Carlos and he was going to come on board and didn't anticipate that uh, the Iraqis had an ace up their sleeve and they pulled the rug um, from underneath his feet and they pointed to a clause in his contract that he had which said that if, they, if he wanted to come to South Africa, there was a small matter of a sum of almost 100 million that had to be paid up by whoever takes him out of out of his contract before its, its, its completion. So that scuttled that. And then you had a whole comedy of errors with, first of all, with Herve Renard, and then with Hugo Bross, and a whole lot of other people. And then eventually they got to Baxter. But, I mean, be that as it may, the fact of the matter here is that Baxter himself was convinced that this, this qualifying campaign um, was in the bag. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have uh, agreed to accept a job where he knew that he would be on and hiding to nothing. You would have seen how we played in the first qualifiers that we played against Burkina Faso and also Senegal, and then would have figured that yeah, this was an opportunity for him to actually get to the World Cup for the first time in his career. So he also was looking at possibilities there, not just for getting the country to the World Cup, but for him himself to actually market himself and get to a soccer World Cup. So you might have seen that, look, this is a chance, this is an opportunity. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are keeping up with the pace that has been set by the elephant runners. So this thing is doable. So ultimately, what transpires then and what has happened? I mean, you you saw the the whole disaster. So I mean, all of those all of those I think for me they contributed to where we are. But from the look of things, it looks like Safa have have, have got confidence in him that he can somehow rescue this thing. But uh, from my, from where I'm sitting, I, I I really really reserve my <laughs> my observations because Baxter has not convinced me at all. Um, that there are certain decisions that he has made as far as selections that that I question and I ask myself, oh, how, why on earth would you do something like that? I mean, we can go through quite a lot of things. We don't, I don't think you've got that much time to go through what he has done. Um, that I feel that uh, he really, uh, if, if he really sits down and thinks long and hard about where he wants to take this national team and if this is where that we think we can get to. And I think the next bunch of qualifiers which resume in, uh, in September, which is, which is the AFCON 
2019 qualifiers, I think they should give us an indication of how far we have come because supposedly he's going to start rebuilding this team as early as March next year and should have an idea of how do we take the team going forward. And surely the likes of Sipiwe Shabalala cannot be part of a rebuilding exercise if you are seriously saying that now you are about to embark on a rebuilding process. Yeah, absolutely, especially when you've got uh, the youngsters, the likes of Luther Singh coming through the ranks, and uh, mm. those youngsters definitely need to get a look in. Uh, and then, Manawa, just uh, sort of off the, the Bafana Bafana issue, uh, there was a report doing the rounds yesterday uh, about Safa paying FIFA. Uh, I think it was 10 million rand to, to sort of uh, clear things up in, uh, in the investigations. What's, what's the deal with that? Well, what what happened with that uh, with that situation is that there was um, um, you remember for the longest time we had this this uh, ten million uh, dollar uh, payment uh, that was transfer, uh, transferred from 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 FIFA uh, offices in Zurich that went to uh, the Caribbean that was for the diaspora, the African diaspora in the Caribbean and 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 it's been hanging over our heads for for, for the longest time so many names have been dragged through this and a lot of people um, have been mentioned as to what transpired from Jack Warner to Chuck Blazer and to some unknown people supposedly who are South African. But the the, the fact of the matter is that uh, South Africa was mentioned by the U.S. Justice Department when they started their own investigations into the issue and they mentioned South Africa. So uh, when I spoke to uh, the SAFA CEO and I told him what I had, uh, the kind of information that I had about this, so he did inform me that, look, uh, what they did is that when that happened, he then wrote to um, FIFA and uh, he requested that they 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 were offering, in fact, their own um, assistance because a lot of the documentation, whatever investigation that FIFA was going to make um, and to, to check what, what sort of involvement did we have in this sort of thing, whatever investigation would have required... Uh, our participation because a lot of the documentation are here in South Africa. Uh, documentation from a government point of view, they are here. Documentation from the LOC's point of view, they are also here. And a lot of the people who were involved in all of those are South African. So they offered their own their, their own assistance. They went into the archives and then FIFA agreed. They said, look, um, we are quite happy that you are willing to, to assist us and we would have wanted you to be involved. Now, the way it works with FIFA, um, even when FIFA chooses uh, bread and they say bread, uh, we feel that there's an issue that we are not happy about. We are banning you from football for the next two years or so, anything like that. Now, what transpires there is that if you appeal that ban, whatever they've done, and you say that you want to appeal it, the, the money that you would use um, to challenge whatever decision they've taken going to Zurich and whatever legal representation that you have, that comes from your own pocket. It will not come from you. And this is why this is one of the reasons why when you see people who have been accused by FIFA for wrongdoing or allegations of wrong, wrongdoing, they end up becoming banned or they end up uh, being kicked out of football for an extended period. And they, they, they usually roll over and play dead at FIFA's feet, not because they feel that they couldn't challenge the decision, but because they just do not have the finances to go as far as challenging it and taking it even as, as, as high as cash, if need be. Because that is a very expensive exercise if you want to do that and you want to challenge that. So now, as far as uh, SAFA is concerned, uh, because FIFA, I suspect, because they, they send uh, so much money to all of these associations, and they had availed the information, and they needed to hire a whole host of lawyers to make sure that 
not only are they providing information, they are also making sure that they protect themselves. I mean, they had uh, legal representation from Zolama Javu, amongst others, Norman Arense, and a couple of uh, high-powered law, law firms from South Africa who were part of uh, the, 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 the teams that, that dug into the archives and, and dug up information and interviewed people and spoke to a lot of people about what actually transpired, put all of that information to, uh, together, and then communicated with that information with FIFA, and, and they got everything that they wanted. And then ultimately, when they released their findings, which was a couple of months ago in Zurich, um, they did not find South Africa guilty of any wrongdoing. And in any case, if you remember, um, a few months ago, there was a statement issued by FIFA where they initially claimed uh, that $10 million amount was a bribe. And then they got a fury of phone calls, I was told by my sources. They got a fury of phone calls from uh, the, the South African government as well as from SAFA. And then and, and, and an hour later, they quickly deleted that statement. And then they changed the wording of the statement they had issued. And they said, no, um, uh, we, we simply quoted what the U.S. Justice Department have said. We are not saying South Africa was involved in any bribe or any sorts. So, I mean, this is FIFA we we're talking about here, and I've always maintained that um, you might have dragged the blood out of, out of the building, but I don't think you have, you have changed the old dinosaur. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. Maniwa Ntlogo from uh, Tiso Blackstore, digital sports editor. Thanks for your time this evening here on SAFM Sports Chat. Much appreciated. Uh, and we'll be following the story closely, particularly the one about Stuart Baxter. As soon as Safa do get out of that meeting, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get an update and we'll know where we stand with South African football going forward. Thanks for your time tonight, mate. Pleasure. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader. Well, the Springboks uh, arrived home in South Africa following another disappointing European tour at the end of another disappointing season for South African rugby. We're joined now by Craig Ray. Craig, uh, just listening to the interviews at the airport uh, this morning, Alistair could see a defiant as ever. He is as defiant as ever, and I suppose it's probably a natural state. It's a combative sport, and you'd expect a coach to to fight for his job, fight for his team, and uh, I guess there's no reason to expect any difference, I'm afraid. I think he's a little bit lost in the reality of of what's been going on, and maybe he's been clouded by his desperation to keep the job. But I think in the cold light of day, if he sits back and thinks about it, he's got to come to some hard conclusions. And... I don't think one of them is that the box have really improved or have gone forward in the two years he's been coach. Yeah, I mean, one of the things he said in, in the post-match interview on Saturday following that loss to Wales, and he, he said it this morning as well, that there's been progress in 2017. And uh, and if we have to be honest, I mean, the the bar was set really low at the end of 2016. So, yes, there has been progress, but it's as far as Springbok rugby goes, it's just not good enough. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You're quite right. I mean, the bar was so low, it could only be upwards from last year. And and even then, you know, what what does he mean? What is his definition of progress? That he's brought in some new players. He mentioned some players like Andres Kutsia was one. And I was thinking, well, I think most people think Andres Kutsia hasn't been very good. And and he sort of used him as an example of the progress the team has made, which, again, is debatable and subjective, I suppose. The coach will probably throw a lot of stats at you about Andres Kutsia. Uh, and I don't want to pick on poor old Andres uh, necessarily. They have won more games than they did in 2016, but then we've got to take the opposition into account. You cannot say that France are anywhere near a tier one side at the moment. It's a bit like the Springboks. France are, are probably at their lowest point ever, and, and they've been poor for a long, long time. I think they've lost six in a row now, and plus a draw with Japan. So, you know, they, they and we beat them four times, three times at home, twice on the high felt. So, you know, yes, 
they, they, you have to beat what's in front of you. We beat Argentina twice, and they really poor. But to me, I, I go back to, if we're talking about progress, we lost 57-0 to the All Blacks, and we lost 38-3 to Ireland. Both away games, but Springbok sides shouldn't lose by those margins. And, you know, that's not a once-off either. The All Blacks thrashed the Springboks in uh, 2016 as well, twice, not just once. And England hammered the box at, at, at uh, Twickenham in 2016. They lost to Italy. So I can't see where this progress is he's talking about. Um, look, the forwards were fantastic again this year. In many ways, well, fantastic, maybe a bit strong. They were, they were very good, and they did veer between fantastic and very good. Um, so in that sense, perhaps there has been some progress. But they weren't that bad either, the forwards, in 2016. But what has been done to address aerial skills, to address the backline play, to address defence, to address poor selections like Warwick Kalant out of position, to address substituting players at crucial moments. Why was Andre Pollard pulled off the game last week when he was in the, on a knife's edge? It made no sense to me. Why was Malcolm Marks pulled off? Not that Bongi and Benambi did particularly badly, but Marks was having the game of his life. And I'm sure we'll suddenly, we, we, we will get an excuse that uh, they, they, they were tired or there was a niggle or something, which we can never refute or dispute um, because that will come from within. It, I think Stephen Jones, the Sunday Times journalist in, in Britain, called the substitution of Andre Pollard, Pollard the most catastrophic coaching decision of the last decade, which <laughs> pretty much sums it up, really. Craig, it's mission critical now. We are at a at a, at a crossroads, essentially, in, in SA Rugby. Uh, Alistair Gutsia in the post-match interview on Saturday was adamant that he's contracted until 2019, which he rightly is. Uh, if South African rugby are going to change coaches, now is the time. We're two years away from a, a World Cup. We can't wait another year uh, and, and, and hope things get better. If they do need to make a decision that way, they've got to do it now. Where do you see this going? It's, uh, it's, it's, some big decisions have to be made. Yes, he's right. He's got a contract till 2019. But what he's failed to mention is he's got performance clauses within that contract. And, uh, you know, on, on many levels, transformation being one of them, which I think he's fallen short of this year as well. But moving that aside for a second, results. Uh, his performance clause, as I understand it, was 65% for his first two years in charge. Well, he's sitting at 44%, so he failed. So you can have a contract, but you've also got to live up to your end of the contract. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and... I think South African rugby are well within their rights to say, well, that's fine, but you haven't lived up to your end of the bargain, which was the smart for these things. So, therefore, you know, the contract is null and void. But it's going to come down to some political will again. Um, will the ex-co go with, in the majority, to fire Alistair Kutsia? Well, that's, that's going to be the debate over the next few days with the ex-co members, I think, because yeah, sometimes when it comes to the crunch, people don't want to make the big decision. Because they, they might think, and this worries me, that Rusty Erasmus is back in the system, so everything will be all right, because Rusty will pull the strings, and so Alistair will just have to toe the line. And um, Alistair Gutsia and Rusty Erasmus had their differences when they were both at the Stormers in Western Province. And, you know, if it doesn't go well between the two of them, let's assuming Alistair stays on for whatever reason. Um, you know, like you say, we could lose another year, and then what? So I, I can't see how Alistair Gutsia can continue for for so many reasons and, and we need to wipe the slate clean and start quickly and do it now because if he, if he does stay on for 2018 then you've got no chance in 2019.
No, could not agree more. Uh, also, big news in the world of rugby in the last week was the, the SA Rugby Award nominees being announced. One of the, the names that you've mentioned, who had a, a, a fantastic uh, game on the weekend, he, he's had a fantastic year, and he's been probably one of the shining lights in Springbok uh, rugby, is, is Malcolm Marks. Uh, highest highest nominee, I think he's in, in three categories, and, and rightly so. He's He's been superb in 2017. He has been. I mean, he's had his moments as well, though, like the, the 57 mil loss in Albany when his line-out throwing just fell apart completely. And, and then even at the weekend, he missed a few uh, crucial line-outs. So for all his brilliant work, and he does some of the most amazing work in the tight loose, I mean, over the ball, I don't think there's a better player in the world, never mind you know, an open-side flank or anyone. I think when Malcolm Marks locks down on that ball, <laughs> there's no chance that anyone's winning it but he. Um, but you know, his primary job of throwing the ball in the line-out has gone awry a few times, so that might count against him. But there's so much good going for him. And, you know, this is one of the, maybe the highlights of South African rugby, seeing a guy like Mark come through in difficult circumstances. Uh, I'd like to see him win South African rugby player of the year. Um, but, yeah, sometimes giving it to someone 23, you know, maybe it's a bit early in their career, and that shouldn't be a criteria. But has he been... Yeah, he's been so good in many ways, but has he been, you know, he hasn't been without big faults, shall we say. Whereas I think someone like Sia Khaleesi has probably been more consistent in every game this season. His highs may not have been as high as Marx's highs, but I don't think his lows have been as low as Malcolm's either. So I think it will come down to a showdown between those two for the, the big prize. Yeah, absolutely. And then team of the year is obviously also one of the big ones, Emirates Lions up against Western Province uh, f- and and uh, the Sevens, the Blitzbox, who have had a uh, superb year. I mean, they, they got the HSBC Seven Series off to a winning start this past weekend. I, I can't see I can't see the Sevens team losing that one, Craig. Yeah, I think they should win it. You know, it's just one of those weird things. Right? It's, a bit, uh, you know, it's a bit like having the Oscars having you know, the, the best actor against the best screenwriter in the same category because they're almost two different things, aren't they? I mean, Sevens Rugby is a sport in its, uh, unto itself, and so it's 15. So maybe, you know, we almost need separate categories, but seeing as they are in one category, the Sevens team are the, effectively the world champions currently, as it stands, the World Series champions. So they have to win that award. I mean, that, that's the biggest tournament in the world of Sevens, and they won it. So I can't see any other team topping them for that one. I think an interesting uh, category as well is Coach of the Year. We've been talking about Alistair Kutsia. He's not nominated. Johan Ackerman from the Lions is. John Dobson, who, uh, who's involved with Province. And, and Neil Powell, who's just done amazing things with the Blitzbox. Yeah, Neil Powell, hands down. I mean, you know, I just you look at the Blitzbox. They coach. They're so well coached. Everyone knows their role. They know they, how to make decisions. They, they know how to react when they're under pressure. They know how to react when they're in good places on the field. And that just comes from great coaching and empowering the players and that all stems from the top so Neil Powell wins that hand, hands out for me Yeah it's, it's amazing to see what's happening in Sevens Rugby when you compare that to the 15 man game and it's uh, it's chalk and cheese it's, uh, I can't wrap my head around, same organisation uh, it, it's mind boggling Well I'll, I'll say this though, Brad, one thing the Sevens have that 15 doesn't have is that they are full time Sevens players based in Stellenbosch at their at their base there, where they train full-time for months on end, year on end. Uh, you know, a big squad, in a large squad of players of about 24 to 30 players. Um, and they don't play in, yeah, okay, we had a few sevens guys playing in Kerry Cup this year, but generally when they're in camp for months, it's just seven, seven, sevens. Now, think how good the Springboks might be if you had 40-odd 15s players doing nothing else but 
focusing on playing for the Springboks for three months of the year before they even played their first match. Um, things might be different. It's not how rugby works, of course. They're all playing at different franchises and all over the world. And they have different levels of fitness. They're going through different fitness regimes with different fitness coaches at the Lions or at West Province or wherever the case may be. Um, different expectations from different coaches. You have different styles. And then you've got to mash that all together in a Springbok setup in, in a short space of time. So I, I think the Sevens have the advantage there because everything is just focused on one goal and that's being as good as you can for the Blitzbox, and their whole system works the right way through the academy team into the Blitzbox. And that's part of Rusty Rasmus' job coming in now, to try and homogenise, I suppose, the, this playing style of South African rugby and, and where the players are in 15 level, so that when they do come together in a Springbok camp, you don't have such disparate uh, approaches and fitness levels and yeah, skill sets. Uh, and that, that might take a few years to get there. Well, let's hope things are on the app, Craig Ray. Uh, as always, great to catch up. Thanks for your time this evening here on SAFM Sports Wrap. No, great, Brad. Thanks. SAFM Sports Wrap. And that's it for this evening's show. More sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live. I'll be back again tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. Coming up on the other side of your 7 o'clock news, it is the talk shop. Uh, and uh, to my entire team in Johannesburg, Loyola and uh, Phineas, thank you so much for your help this evening, gents. Right now it is 7 o'clock and time for your news.